you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we started this series last week, and uh, we're going to be trying to work our way through this uh, gospel. It's really a display of the power of God and the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's the overall theme, but we're going to be zooming in on this very first verse this morning. In college, uh, I went to a Christian college, and uh, every year I ended up uh, rooming with two or three different individuals in my room, and I, I really didn't have uh, roommates that I chose when I went down to college, and so I got random roommates, and so I never knew from year to year who I was going to have in the room, and, and uh, sometimes you had some really unique individuals, and, and they probably thought the same of me, but uh, we had those. And I remember my sophomore year, I had a roommate, uh, two freshman roommates. Uh, one of them was a 22-year-old uh, Desert Storm veteran, had just come back from the war uh, there, and he was starting to take classes, and so uh, he was just excited not to be uh, shooting a, a gun from underneath a truck to protect himself. Uh, he was happy to be uh, in a Christian school environment. And another roommate that uh, was uh, from the hills of Tennessee, and uh, he was, uh, if you want to describe the southern uh, boy, he was. Uh, he had the truck with the gun rack and everything else that goes along with that. And he got down to college, and he was just really not, uh, he was having a hard time with all the rules. He just he, he couldn't understand why certain rules were in place. And I was a person who was kind of responsible for the room, and you'd kind of explain certain things, and he just kind of, you know, I, I just don't understand this, I can't handle this, and you'd try and guide him through all of this and, and help him out. I remember one time after Thanksgiving, he came back, and we're sitting in the room there, and he turns around and he goes, um, I probably need to tell you this. And that was not a good way to start, you know, a conversation. I probably need to tell you this. But he goes, I, I, uh, I got arrested over the weekend. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm the one responsible for this room. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, what did he do? You know, I, I could have seen maybe that he had gotten into like a, a barroom brawl or something. Or, you know, I'm just thinking through all of these things. And I said, so, okay, what What happened? He goes, well, I, I got arrested for spotlighting. I'm just like, I, I have no idea. I don't even have a, a, an idea of what you're talking about. And I said, okay, I, I, I said, you, you've got to back up here for a second. I said, what is spotlighting? He goes, oh, well, that's when you're driving a truck and uh, you come on a pack of deer and uh, you're, you're hunting and you turn your lights on and the deer all stop. That's called spotlighting. I didn't know what that was. And he goes, well, I was doing that on our property, and uh, we had a whole pack of deer there, and I turned on my headlights, and I was getting ready to shoot some deer, and a police car drove down our road when I was doing this, and he saw me doing this, and so uh, they, they kind of booked me and told me not to do this again and, and sent me back home because this is you know, typical behavior where he was at, uh, and uh, all of this. But we, we, we managed to survive that year. He, he uh, made it through the whole year, but he was just having trouble with all sorts of the rules and things like that at school. And so you figure that he was not going to come back the next year, and he didn't. You say, what did he do? He had trouble with rules. So what, what's the common practice of individuals who have trouble with rules? 
he went and joined the Marine Corps. His sister was in college uh, there, and I can remember the next year at graduation going through and just being a part of the different things that were there and, and seeing different people and that. And I remember going past this individual who was smartly dressed in a Marine uniform and not recognizing him until I got past him and I saw a smile break on his face. And I realized who it was. You know, here he had this one who hated rules, rather kind of just, you know, ho-hum as far as appearance and just whatever, he didn't really care, uh, smartly dressed, changed completely. Uh, and uh, it was a change that you just were amazed at. I mean, you wouldn't have thought it was the same guy that you'd seen the year before, uh, him dressed up that way and uh, spit and polish and, and, uh, and willing to do that. Now, you look at that type of thing and go, you know, it is possible for human beings to outwardly transform their personality. Through pressure and other things, they can change. But it is uh, impossible for human beings to, to change what is on the inside completely. You can't do that. No matter what people might try and do to regulate life and do this type of thing, you can't change what's on the inside. But it can change when you meet a person. And that person's Jesus Christ. When you meet Jesus Christ and uh, you've met Him, He changes you. And for the Apostle Paul, he was a man who knew the transforming power, the instantaneous transforming power that Jesus Christ has on an individual when they finally humble themselves and they finally surrender. As you have this uh, story that uh, we read this morning, you, you have the account of the Apostle Paul giving the account of how he changed. He was not a nice man. In fact, as you start out this letter, uh, you see the name Paul there. He wasn't known as Paul. He was Saul, and for, for him, that name amongst Christians was a name of dread, much like an Adolf Hitler would be for Jews and other individuals. He was dreaded. He was hated. He was despised. He was not a kind man. Because he's not only hauling people off to prison, but in the whole process of having people there, he is looking for their death sentence, to have them killed just merely for a belief. He's a man who was known for this, but when he comes on this road where he's about to uh, capture other individuals in faraway cities that are Jews to bring them back, uh, to have them imprisoned and executed for their belief in Jesus Christ, he meets the Savior. And it seems like as he's giving this testimony that he had already thought about the, the claims of who Jesus Christ was. Uh, he had heard the testimonies of Christians uh, on their way to execution. We have one of those accounts in Acts chapter 7 as you read the story of Stephen and his account there as he gives testimony and you get to the end of that story as he's being stoned and there's one standing off to the side who's consenting to the death whom everybody's laying their cloak in front of so it may, means he's the one responsible for the death of this one uh, he hears the testimony of Stephen and probably heard hundreds of other testimonies of individuals who claimed to know Jesus Christ and willingly went to their death knowing him and all of this when Jesus finally appeared in his life and confronted him and said, why are you persecuting me? And you say, how is he persecuting Christ? Because he's already up in heaven. 
You know, Christ is taking care of his own body. The believers that are following him, and he's saying, you're persecuting me. And it's been hard for thee to kick against the, as it says, the, the pricks, the, the goading, like an ox that needs to be pushed along, and you got the sharp stick that can get through the thick height of a, 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 an oxen and move them along, get them to jump and move along. This has been going on for a while in Paul's life where he's hearing this over and over and over again, and then finally Christ confronts him, and he just breaks. And you say, how do you know that he breaks? You find in the statement when he responds to Jesus, he says, Lord. As a Jew, he would have never called Jesus Lord because that would be putting on Jesus that he was God in human flesh. But when he is confronted with Jesus this way, he proclaims, Lord, he's a broken man. He's a changed man. And you think about Saul, he's a man who's well-educated. He's a man who's got uh, an education where he knows the poets of his day. And you read his writings, he's quoting these things. That's not common knowledge of individuals, but he knows these things. He comes from a place that they describe it as no mean city. You say, what's that? Tarsus, uh, and it just simply means this. It was a big city with a lot going on. It was a commercial center, and his family was a a part of the trade that was there. He was wealthy and well-known. And one has said this, that Paul, out of all the apostles, was the most thoroughly educated and well-positioned individuals, but he was hateful to Christ. And his name changed. It went from being Saul. And you say, why was he named Saul? Well, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. And think about the greatest individual in the history of Benjamin that you can think of. One person who was king. That wasn't of the tribe of Judah. One named Saul. And so his family probably named him this because it's the most famous individual in the heritage of uh, their uh, tribe, But when Paul starts doing the work of God, you see the change in Acts chapter 13 as he's uh, sent out and his name is changed to Paul. And you say, well, what does that word Paul mean? That word Paul just simply means small. And some have said that maybe it was because of his small statures because it's described at certain times that he was an individual not very good to look at and that he's small in stature uh, but he's big in words as that some would argue about him but more than likely it's just that you think about it his name Paul sounds very close to Saul but it really pictures the change that happened to his life he was a man who was well known big strong in the community, and now he's just Paul. He's not a man to be taken in the sense of who he is and for what he's done. Uh, He is, well, as he's going to describe himself, not very important, not very big. And so when you look at this passage, we're just going to look at verse number one here today. I want us to understand this, that a person is changed forever. A person is changed forever Everything about them has changed forever when they meet Jesus Christ. A person has changed forever when they meet Jesus. See, for the Apostle Paul, when he got saved, he had a new master. A person who meets Jesus has a new master. And you say, how do you know this? Well, Paul starts off this way. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. 
That word servant, uh, there are two words in our uh, translation that we have that are translated servant, and sometimes it's translated slave. This is not just a word that's describing uh, one who is simply working in a house for somebody else and does that type of thing. Paul uses the worst of terms uh, as far as the most strenuous that you have a master, and he uses the word slave. Paul describes himself as says, I am a slave. Now before he was saved, you think about this, he was a slave to what? We're going to get to this as we go through the book of Romans. We're going to talk about this, that we were one time slave to sin. We had no choice but to do what our flesh uh, desired us to do and uh, those type of things. There was a slavery there. He's going to describe it this way, that your flesh had dominion over you, rulership. And when a person gets saved, that suddenly changes. You're no longer under the rulership of your flesh in the world that we live in and the devil who controls it, but now you have a new master that you're in slavery to. I mean, for Christians, as you think about this, this is not an uncommon term for them to use about themselves. In fact, if you were to just kind of go through and make a study of the introductions of all the the New Testament letters, you're going to find that in the letter that James wrote, he starts off with the fact that he's a slave. The letter that Jude wrote, he's going to start off with the fact that he's a slave. Uh, and Peter, in his second letter that he wrote, he's going to start off and refer to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. That they have this one that they're following. Now, understand, as Christians use the term, the term conveys the idea of complete and utter devotion, not the abjectness which was the normal condition of a slave. We're not talking about a fact of a person who becomes a slave and we think of even in our culture all the details that might be included with being a slave in ages past. No, in this idea, the word slavery just has got this idea, I'm utterly devoted. I've got a person that I will follow and what they command I'll do and it's not a slavish in one way. Uh, I have to do this, but there's a devotion, a heart to want to do this. Delighting to do the will of God. And Paul's description of himself as a slave puts him in the same categories as he, to those of these writing. And you think about even the Lord himself. He talks about uh, the fact that being a slave of Jesus is not like what it is being a slave to the world. The most famous statement that Jesus made on the subject was in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he uses a term that we would not normally use if you're thinking about freedom. He says this, Take my yoke that thing that you would rest on the shoulders of the oxen that would then be the thing that they would pull whatever cart they were doing or the plow that they were pulling. Uh, That was the term that he used. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. And he's saying this in contrast to these individuals who were in his culture saying, you have to follow all these commandments in order to be pleasing to God. And they had 613 commandments and you had to follow these things in order to be right with God. Can you imagine trying to follow 10 of them? I mean, you just take the 10 main ones and it's really a burden that you're going, I can't possibly do this. And he's focusing on one, and you find out, I can't do this. This is a heavy burden I cannot bear. And what the Lord says is this, you come to me, and you'll find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not like the one that you're trying to bear in order that you can get into the presence of God by your own goodness. It's never going to happen. No, when you come to me, you'll find rest to your soul. And so being a slave to Christ is not a, a horrible thing. The work's a whole lot easier. The end of your work is not eternal separation from God. But what do you find is this, is that you have fellowship with God forever. Paul describes himself that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a statement uh, for a man who has changed. Calling Jesus, and realize this, that word Christ is not necessarily a name for Christ. Okay, it's a title. Like we say, the president. I mean, that's not his name, but that's his title. Well, when he says this, is that I'm a servant of a slave of Jesus, he's saying this, I'm the slave of Jesus the Christ. That word Christ is the Greek word that translates the Old Testament word Messiah. And for Jews, they were looking for one who would deliver them. And had all sorts of qualities of being a king, but also had qualities of being God. And for a Jew to call someone the Messiah uh, was putting and placing upon that individual all the hopes that they have. And for Paul, he's making this statement. One, he persecuted uh, years before this Jesus. No, now he's saying, this is the one who gives hope. This is the one who gives deliverance. I'm a slave of Jesus the Messiah the one chosen by God to give freedom. And he understood the fact that this one Christ, uh, this Jesus, uh, was one who, was made, uh, one who had changed him because he wrote elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, made the statement, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, what? All things have become new. And so this Jesus, he is claiming as the one whom our hope, our confidence is upon because he's the chosen one of God. So when a person gets saved, they have a new master. When they meet Jesus, they have a new master. But you also see here in this statement that when a person meets Jesus, they have a new position in life. Paul says, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. Paul likes that term called because it's the idea not uh, just simply that uh, you get picked. You know, you think about playground uh, times and that, and you have teams divided up, and, you know, you have certain people that are picked, and, you know, you always kind of maybe felt like the person who was at the end, and you had to be picked because there was nobody left, and they kind of picked you. And so I'm just kind of, well, I got picked for this team. No. 
When it comes to God's statement here, there's a deliberateness and a consideredness, and there is a special affection that God has. For individuals, when he calls them, uh, there's a divine element for this call where Paul was saved, but he was also called to a work. You're going to do this. It's not that I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to get to do this, and oh, hey, we'll take this person over here. You know, we have no other choice. Paul was chosen to be an apostle, and his apostleship was not something that he chose to do. The whole argument starting off the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is arguing, I didn't become an apostle because I decided I'm going to be an apostle. Galatians 1.1 says this, Paul an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but of Je- or by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he goes on to say, my gospel in Galatians 1 and verse 11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. I didn't start this doing of these things uh, that I'm doing because I decided, hey, I'm going to do this. No, I was called by God to be an apostle. You say, what's an apostle? An apostle is one who is, simply in the generic term, the word apostle means sent one. Jesus, during his ministry, gathered 12 men to be his apostles out of individuals who were disciples. All of us are called to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, but he chose 12 of his disciples to be apostles, ones that would be with him wherever he went so that they could, when he was done, go out and preach the good news that he was doing, do the miracles that they saw him do, that they were going to be sent out. And you think about this, they lost one of those individuals because he was greedy. Say, so who was that? Judas Iscariot. Never really came to be a follower of Jesus in his heart. Died, went to his own place. Eternal judgment. Uh, eventually you see that the church in Acts chapter 1 chooses a replacement for him, one Matthias, and you say, well, is he really one of the apostles? And you go, yes, he is, because he's called that. You say, well, how is Paul an apostle when there was only 12 of them? And Paul uh, readily admits he's an apostle who's one out of time. And he doesn't choose this, but you see in the testimonies of Paul in the story in Acts chapter 9 that when he begins his ministry, he is called by God to be an apostle not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. That word Gentiles means the nations, that he's going to be an apostle, a sent one to them. And you find uh, what we don't have in in, uh, the story of Acts, but Paul talks about this, that there was a time where he was taught of the Lord where he was with Jesus for a time, the risen Lord, and was taught by him and then sent out. So this this calling that Paul had, it was probably never anything that ever occurred to him in his life, but when he got saved, God said, I'm going to call you to do this. I want you to be an apostle that brings the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. Now, let me just put a side note in here. If anybody's calling themselves an apostle right now, ask them how old they are. Okay, the credentials are this, is that you'd seen the Lord and were were one who had seen his uh, ministry and his death and his resurrection, and uh, I don't think anybody's 2,000 years old. So if you find somebody whose sign says, apostle so-and-so is here, don't believe it. 
Because it's a unique ministry, a unique position, and the Apostle Paul in his life, God shaped it this way, and he said, I'm calling you to be an apostle, something that you would have never considered, but now that you're saved, this is your position in life. You're going to be a sent one going out to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so a person who meets Jesus has a new position, but you see at the end of the verse is this, is that a person who meets Jesus has a new purpose. Say, what's the purpose? It's the same purpose that we all have. You see there at the end that Paul was separated unto the gospel of God. He was set apart. It's kind of ironic that uh, Paul was the one who was a Pharisee. And you say, what does a Pharisee mean? In the Hebrew, it was just a word for being set apart. The Pharisees were trying to set themselves apart from sin and and set up all these rules and laws, and so their name literally meant set apart ones. But when Paul got saved, he was the chief of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he described himself. But now that he's saved, he's been set apart not to follow laws and rules to try and please God. No, what he's going to do, he's set apart to go out and tell people the good news, the exciting things uh, that Jesus Christ has done in order to rescue and save individuals, that he has got that opportunity to go out and declare what Jesus Christ is and what he has done. I mean, the gospel of God, you think about uh, as Paul is preaching, uh, Paul really liked the word good news. You look through the New Testament, only 72 times that word gospel, good news come up. 60 times it's out of the Apostle Paul's mouth or his writings. He loved the good news that Jesus Christ, this individual, came into this world who was God in human flesh and died and was buried and rose again to be able to be sin for us who knew no sin. And he delighted in telling this message of going around and talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, you think about this in a Christian context, there's no good news to compare with the news of what God has done in Christ for man's salvation. I mean, we can, we can be excited about news that, okay, we've got a paycheck that's coming that we didn't expect, or there's a clearance of our cancer that we had. That's good news, but really in the, the whole scheme of eternity, there's only one thing that's really good news. And that's that mankind, and that men and women can have their standing before God changed and settled that they can fellowship with God that's the best of news and that's why Paul was saying I'm set apart for this and it's more than just him being set apart to preach it's the same thing that we're called to do one has said this it certainly uh, includes preaching for Paul but it's surely more than that it means to be a gospel man or a gospel woman you go what does that mean it means everywhere you go you're living out the good news that you're displaying what it is to be a new creature in Christ, and that you're living this out, and it's a testimony. Separating the gospel is not just merely what I do as a pastor and get up and I declare this. No, it's, it's something that's lived out in life. My whole life is a gospel proclamation of the transforming power of what Jesus Christ can do in my life. I go about gospeling wherever I go. Because it's not about me, it's about the good news, Jesus Christ, and it's about Him and displaying that. 
And so you go and think about this, is that my life is that I go about, and my life is not just merely that I've got a job, and I go about it, and I hope to retire someday, and that type of thing. No, really, the first thing about my life is that I'm a Christian. You know, out of habit, we do this. You know, people ask you, what's your job? You know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer, or uh, I'm a uh, legal administrative assistant, or I'm this type of thing. And we, we, we throw that out. But really, what, what's the most important thing in our life? What is my life? It's that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I know Him, and it doesn't matter what I do in this life, because all the things that I gather in this life is going to be burned up anyhow. But I do have something that's going to last me for eternity, and it's that I know Jesus is my Savior, and I can give you that knowledge, and I can display what that does in my life for you to see. That's the greatest thing I can be doing. That's really my job. And it ought to be that as people ask us, what's your job? Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian who, well, right now is working as a whatever. Or I'm a Christian who's kind of retired, but not from being a Christian. Those type of things. And Paul was set apart and he was changed. And for him, as he's talking about this good news, and he's going to write a whole letter to people that he hasn't even met yet. I mean, that's one thing to think about when it comes to this book of Romans. He's not met this congregation, so he's laying out, I want you to know what the good news is and why I love it so much, and I'm just going to lay it out for you to understand that Okay, the first five chapters are talking about how you're saved, you recognize you're a sinner, but look at chapter 6 through 8, and it's not talking about necessarily what we would think of as salvation, but that salvation working itself out in my life. How does it look when a person has come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? That's a part of salvation, the good news. And so Paul was a changed man. Just as individuals in this room could testify to the fact that when they met Jesus, their life changed. Their focus changed, their mind changed, their position in life changed, their calling changed because of what Jesus Christ did for them. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and just you know, coming to the end of just the, this opening verse. I'm reminded of a man by the name of George Mensick. I never met him, but I heard much about him. George Mensick lived, uh, was born in 1902, and was an individual who basically lived a rough life. Started his life out stealing things and that type of thing, and that was just a part of his life. And eventually he worked his way up to getting himself in trouble with the law on multiple occasions, uh, uh, from running rum uh, during Prohibition to uh, robbing uh, different places and... uh, well, hurting individuals. In fact, he got to the point where he was a lieutenant in the service of an individual by the name of Al Capone. George Minzik would give uh, statements that as an individual, he was a very mean man. There were times where he was called upon uh, to torture certain individuals that had not uh, done what they were supposed to have done or paid up the way they should have. And you can remember individuals being tortured, and as they were being tortured, he would just sit there and eat ice cream. He was enjoying himself. He was an individual who, over time, spent multiple times in jail, 
but became an enforcer because he learned techniques in jail to then use when he got out, and, and he just became meaner and meaner. Over time, he became a user of marijuana and heroin, and because of that, that changed his character to even a darker uh, element. <clears throat> it came in a time and occasion in his life that he was actually married and he had a daughter, his wife was about to go in for surgery, and as she was going in for surgery, she turned on the radio back, this is back in 1936, she turned on the radio, and she heard the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ. Before she rolled in for surgery, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She came out a changed individual. It wasn't much time after that that the daughter became a believer in Jesus Christ. And this uh, wife and daughter continued to pray for George Mensick as he was still doing all sorts of criminal activity and was getting on drug highs. In fact, there came an occasion where George Mensick was, uh, was uh, taking some heroin and got in his mind a crazy idea that he was going to go in and kill his daughter. So he came home in this rage, uh, uh, and his wife met him at the door. And he hit his wife, knocked her out of the way, and went into the room where the daughter was at, a six-year-old daughter. And the daughter was kneeling by the bed, and she was praying for her father to be saved. That stopped him. A couple days later, his family invited him to go to church. Showed up at Market Manor Baptist Church when it was down on California, and I think it's 66th. I can't remember exactly the address there, but he showed up there. The day he showed up, he was carrying a gun in one pocket and heroin in the other. He sat down to hear the preaching. There was an evangelist there. When the evangelist got done, he turned to his wife and said, I can't believe you told that man all about me. And his wife said, I don't even know the man. He's a visiting preacher that showed up this morning. I don't even know who he is. George Mensig went to talk to the preacher that was there. And when he was done, he had been changed. A man who had been involved in the killing of individuals, the torturing of individuals, uh, this man was suddenly changed. And you say, how do you know this? Well, he went from being an individual who was given to his own passions and his own rage and his own selfishness to a man who could only go about and talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, an individual at one time who was sought by the police to be locked up in prison on a regular basis, after a time, was an individual who was given pardoned by four governors and given a license to go into any prison at any time, day and night, to go into the prison to talk to the prisoners who were there to tell them about Jesus Christ. That was his life. You say, he was changed. And it wasn't by any self-reformation. It wasn't by the fact that he uh, was an individual that suddenly decided he needed a life change. No, when he was suddenly confronted with this one named Jesus, 
that his wife and his daughter were holding up as the individual that he needed desperately, and he finally was confronted with this and his own sinful condition and who he was, and that was laid bare, and he met Jesus Christ. It changed him forever. And you find uh, individuals that talk to George Mensick later. He was an individual that at the sight of blood afterwards got queasy and nearly passed out. A man who was used to torturing individuals beforehand. And you say, well, what happened? He was changed because he met the Savior. For us as individuals here today, I don't know what your state is walking in here and who you are. I don't know what your heart is and who, what is in your heart. But you may have come in here frustrated today saying, I'm living a life where I am frustrated over and over again with my own self and who I am. I know I'm not right with God. I've got a guilt of sin and I don't know what to do with this. What am I supposed to do with this? The answer is, the only answer, is Jesus Christ. When you come and look at Him and realize who He is, that He sent the gift sent from heaven by God for your salvation, you'll run into Him and go, you know what, this one is perfect. He has no sin. He has a righteousness that I don't have. And He died in the place of me to die in my place for my sins and the penalty of my sins? Can He really change an individual like me? And the answer is absolutely. And there's testimonies throughout church history and testimonies in this room of individuals that came to know Jesus Christ and they were changed just like Paul was. There's individuals here in this room that are going, I understand what the good news is, the gospel, because Jesus Christ changed and transformed my life when I met him and just gave up and said, I am putting in my faith and casting myself on Jesus alone, and their life took a complete reversal. Jesus Christ changes individuals. The question is, has he changed you? And if the answer is no, then you need to see where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, have you come humbly to Him and accepted His death on the cross? And you'll find the transformation that happened to Paul and to George Mensick and other individuals in this room will be the same thing that happens to you. You will be changed forever when you meet Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the testimony of individuals like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a, a man who was hated, was mean and cruel, thought he was doing God a service, but he was putting himself ever the farther away from God until he finally humbled himself and broke and met the Savior and he was changed. Lord, we thank you, those in this room that that know the Savior, we rejoice in the good news that Jesus does transform. He does change individuals who can't change themselves. It's His mighty power and the death that He had on the cross that makes it possible, the power of that cross. Lord, we rejoice in knowing that message for us as believers. May we shine forth 
May we recognize our ministry and life, our goal in life is just to be gospeling, to be sharing the good news, displaying that, because there's a lot of people in desperate need because they're in slavery to sin. Uh, They have a cruel master that they're following. Lord, help us to be the testimony that we need to be of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, we pray for one that may be here today, or two or three that may be here today that aren't right with God because they've never come humbly to Jesus Christ. May they understand their need. May they read this book of Romans. May they read the Gospels uh, uh, that they have and see that this Jesus died to save them. And may they cast themselves upon Him as their only hope their only hope of eternal rescue and being able to change for eternity. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being our God and sending your Son. And we thank you for the transformation that your Son can provide. And in his name we pray. Amen.